ready to rise above loud, angry headlines, longing for an alternative to the world's fighting and fear-mongering? Christianity Today magazine offers a trustworthy, faithful perspective on stories that matter to you, from the church next door to movements and ministries all around the world. Subscribe to CT for full access to in-depth reporting, insightful commentary, and redemptive storytelling, both online and in print. A subscription to CT also includes seasonal devotionals, special issues, and exclusive content. Visit orderct.com today or click the link in the show notes to get started and join a growing community of thoughtful evangelical Christians who value different news that makes a difference. That's orderct.com to subscribe today. We spend a lot of time on podcasts like this predicting the future in various ways. But as we do that, we know life is really unpredictable. And as the scripture says, we do not, uh, we do not know uh, the number of our days. And that's why it's a really important thing to have a will uh, to protect yourself and your family. Christianity Today has partnered with Epic Will to walk you through the entire process of creating a will in as little as 10 minutes. You don't have to have a law degree uh, to be able to walk through this, and that's why it's really helpful. So visit morect.com, that's M-O-R-C-T.com, will, that's morect.com slash will to get started today. Welcome back to The Russell Moore Show. I'm Ashley Hales, and one of the fun parts of getting to produce The Russell Moore Show is that frequently, Russell and I get to chat through your listener questions. So I'm excited to talk today with Russell. We're going to chat about questions about parenting, about children, about differing views, how do you stay in relationship, as well as some of the more pressing topics that you might have. So we're looking forward to these conversations. Thanks again, Russell, for being with us. Oh, it's going to be fun. Yes. So our very first question is about an adult child and an estranged relationship. So the parent writes about having an emotionally painful experiences that, you know, are causing her to figure out how do I relate to my adult child who has a different theological and practical view around particularly the issues of homosexuality. The parent holds to a traditional orthodox interpretation, that's how she describes it, and says that also a lot of churches are now affirming homosexuality, and so she's feeling confused. She's also worried about losing relationship with her grown child. How does she navigate that? What does wisdom and discernment look like when culture seems to be shifting underneath our feet, and yet you have a very personal way in which it's interacting in the life of one's family? You know, I think about every time that I think about that kind of mm-hmm. question, which mm-hmm. is a lot. I think about, I was teaching a semester in the Institute of Politics at University of Chicago, and one of the 
one of the things that they do there is that those who are are teaching have office hours where anybody in the program can go Mm -hmm. in and ask anything. And most of my students didn't have any religious background at all. Mm -hmm. And there was a young lesbian woman who came in. I think she was agnostic. She came in and, and met with me and she said, I've got a question for you. My parents have become evangelical Christians. Mm-hmm. And so I was bracing for that kind of question. <laughs> right, yeah. right. And she said, or a debate over right, right. You know, what the Bible says. And she said, so can you help me to know how to not accidentally offend or step on minefields with my parents that might make them uncomfortable hmm. and the best way that I can connect with them and and encourage them. Wow. <laughs> and I stepped back <laughs> and said, do you realize that if people had anywhere close to that attitude, we would have an entirely different country Yeah. right now? I mean, it was very commendable as mm-hmm. a, a daughter mm-hmm. Who, mm-hmm. who cared about her parents. I think that you have to, in these conversations, understand your the, the different sorts of callings that you have. So you have one calling as a church member and another calling in terms of carrying out your spiritual gifts and another calling as an evangelist, uh, th- those things. But you have a unique calling as parent. Which means, I think, I'd be willing to bet in, in, I don't know one situation like this mm-hmm. where the adult child is confused about what the parent's views are. Mm-hmm. And so the parent not talking about it uh, leads to confusion. That, that is never the case in any, yeah, any time right, I've ever right. uh, heard about this. Instead, both, both of you know where you are. Mm-hmm. And I just think the best way to handle it in terms of that is to say, you know what? We disagree on this, but I love you. And our relationship isn't going to be a constant argument over this. Mm-hmm. We're going to say right now we disagree and we can still be mom and daughter, mom and son, dad and son, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. We're going to do that. And we're going to maintain that connection. Yeah. And then often I think what you find is on any sort of disagreement, what you often find is that where there is that strong connection, often then there will be conversations that are really deep about mm-hmm. uh, about where the points of disagreement are later on. But they're they're coming from a very different context than we're having an argument and a debate over this passage or over this moral issue. It's just a very different thing. So what I would say is your adult child really needs, as all of us do, the, the word of God. But they also really need a mom or dad. And so in this case, I would be mom or dad, who, who, mm-hmm. whichever you, you are, mm-hmm. and have a relationship with your child 
and don't don't disconnect. I think I think sometimes people think, oh well, if I do that, then mm-hmm. that means that I've sort of surrendered. Right. On my right. viewpoint, not right. at all, mm-hmm. not at all. So yeah, I would just uh, I would just sometimes it too. I think when it's a really incendiary sort of argument more broadly mm-hmm. right in mm-hmm. the culture or mm-hmm. in the church culture i mean this this listener references arguments within the church and so forth when that's the case sometimes we then treat that kind of relationship mm-hmm. completely differently mm-hmm. from the way that we would treat it with any other sort mm-hmm. of, you know, a, a parent who's a, a believer with an adult child who's an unbeliever or vice versa. A lot of times people are able to handle that better than they are something that's really seems to be a real, really fiery debate around them. Because mm-hmm. then that implication comes, oh, if I am not just constantly hitting and trying to change this person, so viewpoint, then waving right. the white flag. And so just, I think sometimes right. it helps just to step back and say, okay, what if instead of that, what we were dealing with is a disagreement over whatever, some other uh, issue? How would I handle that? And, and often you'll have a better sense of how to go forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and I think, Often it feels like, you know, if I don't say this sort of thing, then, you know, God's not going to work, right? Instead of realizing we've got the whole body of Christ, we have the whole witness of Scripture, we have the Holy Spirit at work. It's not all up to us. Right. Yeah. Our next question talks about the issue of adoption and trauma. One of our listeners writes in about how do we help adopted kids heal from the trauma of losing their birth family and in many cases their birth country when they had no choice in the matter. So this is something I'm sure that you are well well acquainted with. How do we help these kids understand who they are, that they're valued, loved, and treasured, and worthy by their Heavenly Father when they have such deep wounds or their minds are not even fully developed to be able to understand what has happened, let alone the work of God? And this this listener writes about desiring to be intentional about that. But what does that look like, maybe especially in those early stages, about helping adopted kids heal from trauma? Yeah. Well, Maria and I adopted our oldest two sons from a Russian orphanage when they were a year old. And I think one of the things that I didn't understand then is the way that, because my thought was, I don't think I would have said this this way with my mind, but uh, but I think I, there was an assumption behind that. Well, I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're under a year old, and so you don't remember right. anything that happens before that point. Right. And so right. it's different than if you had somebody who's, you know, 10 and coming out of a, a really traumatic sort of situation. And that's just not true. There There is mm-hmm. hurt and trauma in Every situation with adoption, everyone, because somebody died or somebody left or, or or something like that, and so there, and then a whole whole lot of other things that come with that. 
So the main thing is to know that and to, and to know that that is not a reflection on your parenting. And I think sometimes adoptive yeah. parents make the situation worse because when the child starts to really express some of the trauma about having, having lost birth parents, it's an insult. It's, it's, it's sort of received as an insult. You're saying that I'm not your real mom or dad, or you're, you're, you're saying that you wish that you were somewhere else. That's not what they're saying. What they're, they're saying is they're grieving, and it's entirely uh, appropriate mm. for them to be grieving, and that's healthier than repressing that. And so what I would say is read a lot, read some books, or if you're not a reader, watch watch some YouTube videos from sort of people who have been working in this area and, and are trauma-informed. And start to mm-hmm. start to learn about certain things that are that are related to that. And to be able to bear with that. And that means, I think, raising the question when it's appropriate. I mean, with our kids, one of the things we did, we always told them their their sort of life story. And we also mm-hmm. always told them what we don't know and, and what we didn't know and didn't hold any of that back from them. But we did it in a way that was we were trying to be age appropriate with it. So kind of kind mm-hmm. of like you do with anything else, answer the questions truthfully, but do so in a way if there's because sometimes there are going to be some really hard things that you have to say. You're gonna mm-hmm. you're gonna find the right time to to do that. But I would just say don't take mm-hmm. it personally and don't assume if I just do these five things that will go away. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And what might they do positively is they think about, you know, helping their son or daughter kind of reshape an identity that is about, that you are a child of God and valued and full of dignity and worth and a part of his family. What is what does that look like well, positively? I would be I would be really careful with that language, not because I don't believe it. I mean, obviously, I I believe that. But I think that sometimes those of us who have never experienced the loss of a a birth family can assume, well, once you learn that God's your father and you do have a father, then you can get over this and you can move move (laughs) forward. You're good. When in reality, God created us to have this kind of connection with a mother and a father. And when that is lost, it is, it is real hurt. I mean, so, so you wouldn't come up to a widow at her husband's funeral mm-hmm. and say, well, you know, you're the bride of Christ just because you don't have a husband. You wouldn't do that, even though that's true. She's part of the body of Christ, which is the bride of Christ. That's, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. true. But that's suggesting this isn't real. And and in many mm-hmm. cases with yeah. trauma, what you're dealing with are is not e- are, are things that are not even necessarily conscious. 
there are a lot of things that are really deep and we don't really even understand them ourselves. And Mm -hmm. so I, I think understanding that and bearing with it and and not taking it it personally and and loving that child no matter what i think that's what's important and i also think sometimes it's really important with i mean in some cases there's an open adoption where there's there is some connection to a birth parent mm-hmm. in other cases there's not but you can also try to find things out i mean one of one things with one of my sons we were doing a medical procedure and going over family history and I'd say, well, I don't know if there's a history of this or that or the other biologically. And so you know, one of my sons did 23andMe and, you know, looked mm-hmm. at, at some of those things. It's not doesn't give him everything, but it gives him something. I think encourage, mm-hmm. encourage that when it's appropriate. here. If you're looking for another podcast that features inspiring conversations with religious leaders, authors, and artists, then I recommend listening to the acclaimed podcast, No Small Endeavor. Produced by Great Feelings Studios and PRX, No Small Endeavor explores what it means to live a good life. Each episode, host Lee C. Camp sits down with special guests, like award-winning journalist and best-selling author Tim Alberta and civil rights hero Reverend James Lawson to ask what it means to live a life worth living. You can even hear from Russell Moore on No Small Endeavor. If you're looking for somewhere to start, check out their new episode with Malcolm Gladwell, New York Times best-selling author and host of the wildly popular podcast, Revisionist History. They explore how Malcolm became a stellar storyteller, some of the things he may or may not regret, and so much more. Don't miss out. Follow No Small Endeavor wherever you get your podcasts. We have a question from Bob who works in the education sector, and he he just asked if you would be personally willing to discuss why you and Maria chose to homeschool your boys. And do you support those of us in the public education sector? Well, I I am very supportive of the public school system. I think that we need as citizens to be cooperating together, educating next generation of people. My mom uh, is a retired public school teacher, and I'm, I went through public schools, and if I could do it again, I'd go right back to those public schools. I would study harder, but I would go right back to them. <laughs> and so I'm not opposed to public school education at all. I often say we're homeschooling, but we're not homeschoolers with a capital H (laughs) Mm -hmm. to some people because Mm -hmm. there are some people that assume, well, if you're doing that, that means that you think what somebody else they they had talked to who believed that if you if you're in the public school system or if your child is in the public school system, then you're handing them over to Moloch. I've actually heard that 
argument. You're, you're sacrificing your children and so forth. I do not believe that. Instead, for us, what we had was a situation with, with one of my uh, children who needed an education that was more one-on-one in, in terms of the way that he learned. And so it worked for for him. Mm-hmm. And the others were were in it and thrived. And if they hadn't, then I would have pulled them mm-hmm. out and put them into a, another place. I mean, the public schools around me, there's a public school right down the road for me, is really, really good. So I wouldn't have had a problem mm-hmm. with doing that at all. I I just am, am looking and saying they're actually doing really well, and and their friends are here because we do a we do a, a co op uh, situation where you mm-hmm. know it's it's a whole group of families who are doing the same thing, and we we come together and people teach in their various areas of of expertise. So that that just happens to work. Yeah, for us. Yeah. Great, thank you. Yeah. Cheryl asks about a a tender situation. Her daughter was recently transferred to a psych ward after she attempted Mm -hmm. to take her life. And I actually corresponded with Cheryl and her daughter's doing much better. But she was trying, you know, in that those first few moments, she reached out to you, Russell, and, and was asking, how do we trust God in his goodness when he is putting us through this terrible trial when we feel so hurt and angry, and particularly relating to the life of their daughter? Yeah. I mean, that's the question that Job is asking, and God doesn't mm-hmm. give an answer. God just shows up. And I think of John 11, when, when Jesus mm-hmm. hears of the, the death of Lazarus, he weeps. And this is really, this is real, this is awful. And, and, and it's, it's not the way that it's supposed to be. And I don't think that you're going to be able to trace through the why God allowed certain things to happen. I think mm-hmm. instead, mm-hmm. concentrate on the who. That God is with you in this, even when you don't understand what's going on. And, and often, but we, we don't understand what's going on. And it's completely natural for Cheryl to have that sort of reaction. As a matter of fact, Mm-hmm. I'd be kind of worried if she didn't, because it yeah, would, yeah. It, it might mean that she's just sort of holding that down in, inside of her. So don't get alarmed by it as though, oh, I'm losing my faith or something like that. You're, you're not. You're, you're asking that question that there aren't easy answers, answers to. And we just have to trust that God is who he is and that we don't understand why things are, are happening the way they are around us. But 
genuinely weeping and grieving them. Thank you. You know, I wanted to include this question just because I think it's important for you to to say what feels like, you know, a thoughtful answer about an out-of-wedlock pregnancy question about someone who had a child, she writes, due to her promiscuity and her own faults and choices. I know the father wants to get married, but what if I don't want to? She says, will I go to hell for not marrying him? No. And what what I would what I would say to you is, I think there's I think there's a question here. I'm not sure if this person is a follower of Christ or. I think she became a follower of Christ okay. more recently. Well, then here here's what I would say. Yeah. First of all, that first part of it sounds to me, and it, I might I might be wrong. I'm just basing this on experience of dealing with people. It sounds to me like somebody being too judgmental with herself. When she's in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. It is Sometimes I think people are in a mode where they think, oh, I did this or I did that. And, that, and yeah, you're, you're a sinner. Everybody is. But that's not the definition of you from from now on out. So maybe she's just describing mm-hmm. it, but it just sounded to me when, when she goes in and says, through my promiscuity and so forth. And I, I, I think she, I, I just would want her to feel some freedom of being in Christ and being forgiven. And then, then I would say, if you're in Christ, it's not that you go to hell for doing something doing something bad. We're going to continue to sin and to need forgiveness. And in this case, I don't even think that what she's dealing with is a sin at all. I think what she's dealing with right now is a wisdom issue and a prudential issue. And so there have been, in in my ministry, there have been many people who have had a pregnancy out of wedlock to whom I have said, don't marry him. Don't, don't, don't do it. Because it's not, a, it would be an awful situation for her. And if it's an awful situation for her, it's going to be an awful situation for the child. So I would say you're not necessarily obligated to marry him. Instead, sometimes there are people who are going to get married one day, but they're just kind of pushing it off and somebody gets pregnant. And the question is not, should I marry this person, but should I marry this person now? And often in that case, I, I encourage them to marry, mm-hmm. but not in a situation mm-hmm. sounds like what she's describing, where it, it's, not a, it's not a good situation. That's that's a that's a wisdom prudential question. And then certainly what would concern me, not concern me about the question, but just concern me for her is the question of will God send me to hell? Because mm-hmm. that's going to hit a lot of us. And it, it comes to that question we've addressed here before of whether you think 
that God is looking to condemn you unless you find a loophole in the condemnation. Rather than seeing what I believe is a John 3.17 view of a God who loves you and wants you around and redeemed, and there are people who don't want that. God does not want to condemn the world. And so you're not kind of accidentally mm-hmm. in Christ. So I would take mm-hmm. that part and to say, you've already been to hell. That's done. No matter what you do. I mean, in this case, I don't even think it's a, a sin she's talking about, but she's going to commit a sin. And so am I. Mm-hmm. You have in Christ, you're united to him. And he on the cross, Paul says in Galatians 3, bore the full curse for sin. So that's your, that, that's your bearing mm-hmm. of that curse as well. He's a, a substitute for you and you're united to him. And so there is no hell to pay for you in Christ. No condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1, means no condemnation. So that mm-hmm. question, I think, move that question out because yeah. if you don't, what you're going to do is you're really going to waste a lot of time. <laughs> not, not just you're going to kind of spiritually with it, you're going to waste a lot of time on actually repenting of sin, seeing patterns of sin in your life and finding the, the right way to to turn around. You're going to waste a lot of time Mm -hmm. thinking, is God wanting to send me to hell? Rather than thinking about, God loves me. God has saved me. God is my father. And I'm, I'm in Christ. When he sees me, he sees exactly what he says of Jesus. This is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. Exactly. So that's the case. So then what is, what is God wanting to do in order to mm-hmm. take me out of something that seems like, I mean, with, with sin, with all of us, it, it seems like something that's going to make us happy or fulfill some sort of need or something yeah. else. And God knows that it doesn't and that it's actually mm-hmm. hurting you. And so he's calling you out of it. And giving you the the resources through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God and through the community of God for for us to be able to turn around and and repent. Don't think that you're teetering on the the edge of hell. That's 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 really not the way to walk in the Spirit. Life is unpredictable. I think all of us learn that. Sometimes we learn it in good ways. Sometimes we learn it in really hard ways. You're valuable to Christianity Today, and we want you to be prepared and protected. And one of the ways that that can happen is by having a will and getting a will together for your family and to care for your loved ones. If you've already set up your will and other important estate planning documents, that's great. But if you haven't, Christianity Today has partnered with Epic Will to easily and affordably walk you through the whole process of creating a legally binding and state-specific will in as little as 10 minutes. 
You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to take this vital step, and you can get started today by visiting morect.com slash will. That's more with just one O, ct.com slash will. And for a limited time, you can get 10% off. That's morect.com slash will. Our last question talks about the issue of autism. And this person who is writing talks about, you know, the Bible talks about come and see and to come and see and experience the kingdom to be part of the church. And the question is this, where does one come, right? So where should an adult with autism come and meet his Lord? And where should his parents and siblings come to worship the welcoming Savior when their son and brother can't comfortably accompany them? Where are they supposed to go? Parent rights. Well, one of the questions is going to be, there's a sort of a broad range of different experiences for people with autism. Mm -hmm. Right. So in some cases, you've got a congregation that doesn't know, just doesn't understand this at all. I mean, I, I was just the other day at an event and the, one of the people was saying to Walter Isaacson, who wrote this biography of Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. So why mm -hmm. is he and just went through not the things that, you know, are, are critiquable, but the things that <laughs> about his childhood, that why was he doing this mm -hmm. and why was he doing that? And Isaacson started talking about the autism spectrum and apparently he makes the claim in the book, maybe Musk does about himself. But he says, you, you have to understand how this works differently. He says, but you also have to differentiate right. the difference between having, being an autistic person and being a jerk. Those are not the same thing. <laughs> and so right, sometimes right. what happens is you have a kid who is autistic and he could function fine in that congregation if people just knew how differently he experiences the world and to know that there are that there are certain things that are not good or bad. It's just a different kind mm -hmm. of wiring. And those are people who just really need to be educated. And and that means helping and equipping other parents. Do you know what mm -hmm. I've seen is we think of kids as sort of naturally bullies, and that that is the case to some degree. But I've also seen it when parents really understand, uh, really do communicate to their children. This is somebody who just experiences the world a different way than you do in mm -hmm. these ways. And it's he's not weird. He's just different mm -hmm. from you. Kids usually understand that and and usually mm -hmm. are, are able to then relate to that person. So it, it might be that that's the case, that they need to have a conversation yeah. with the leadership of the church and, and see about that. It might be the case there are a lot of churches that are not at all friendly to families who have a particular challenge. That That, that is true. There are mm -hmm. lots of churches where that's not the case. 
and they're going to respond to something as a discipline issue that's not. It's just a difference mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm. I served a mm-hmm. church one time where there was a, a young man with Down syndrome who sat on the front row, and he would sometimes get, if if the sermon was about something really violent or, you know, that mm-hmm. David and Goliath or something like that, then he right. would really get worked up and would, mm-hmm. would sometimes throw hymnals, that court sort of thing. In a lot of congregations, that would be seen as a nuisance or, you know, something's got to be done about him. This congregation treated it, I think, perfectly. They understood, okay, He's a part of our congregation. He's part of the body of Christ. He is uh, gifted to build up the body of Christ, and that's Mm -hmm. what he is doing. And Mm -hmm. he has this unique sort of challenge, and we're going to help him with it. And so it it was a situation where when he would start to get really upset or or kind of what some people would call acting out— they, the people just knew what to do, which was come up, come up to him and be there with him. And, and usually that just calmed it right down. Those congregations, I, I'm, I'm thinking that that took a while, before I got there, it took a while for them to learn how to do that. But they yeah. understood that they wanted to love him and care for him and care for his parents, and they did. So there are some churches mm-hmm. that don't do that. I would find a church that at least aspires to welcoming and and helping people who have uh, unique challenges. Mm-hmm. Or it may be that the situation she's dealing with is of a different sort where there's someone who actually can't be in those sorts of settings. For various reasons, it it may be that there is a there are some kids with autism that being in a big room of people singing is a literally painful experience for them. Well, if that's the case, don't don't put him or her in that situation. Instead, I mean, God understands that that this is somebody who needs instead some other form of spiritual help because just like mm-hmm. a shut-in, they can't get to that congregation. Or it might be that that this person might do better in a smaller church. You know, you can mm-hmm. you can talk to your your doctors about, you know, what what do you think is best here? And, you know, trial and error. You, you you do mm-hmm. something and say, well, that's not working. We're going to do something else. But yeah, that's that's uh, that's a challenge yeah. a lot of people uh, face, not just with mm-hmm. autism, but with a whole variety of of things that they're saying. My congregation just doesn't know how to deal with us, and that's a that's a tragedy. It is because we have much to learn as well on the other end. I think that often there are parents 
who are particularly struggling because they're putting a comparison pressure on themselves. And I've Mm -hmm. been in that Mm -hmm. situation before where what you do is you think, well, everybody else is handling this whole parenting experience just fine. And I'm a total failure at it because of this. Mm -hmm. And that's in almost no case that I've ever seen. Now, I've seen a lot of bad parents, but they're not asking (laughs) questions about (laughs) how their parenting (laughs) is deficient. They don't think it is usually. But when, but in a lot of cases, the the parents who really do feel like they're, they're failing are doing exactly what everybody else is going through in some way or the other. They just don't Mm-hmm. don't uh, put that out into the into the world. Mm-hmm. And so take some of the pressure off of yourself in terms of of seeing this child as being simply the collection of your parenting inputs. There's a lot biblically that, uh, that parenting does in raising a child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But that's not all that a child is. So our, our sons, I, I said to my wife one day, our sons are exactly who they were as babies, just as mature, responsible guys. <laughs> so, you know, the, the one who was naturally just really kind of fiery, is is a hard charging guy yeah. the one who was yeah. just very calm and 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 curious uh, still is i mean so you you've got a person as a person and not just what you are what you are putting into that person and if what you're doing is you're looking at that child as this is reflecting back to me how successful i mm-hmm. am you're not going to really be able to to connect the way that will work best and to parent that child. So put that aside. And and when I say that, I don't mean one time, put it aside and then you go on. What I mean is a lot of us, and I'm including myself, a lot of us face that going on in our minds. And what we have to do is to constantly tell ourselves, wait, wait. (laughs) <laughs> this is this is about him or her, n- not about me right now. Yes, and and uh, I'm going to love this kid, and I'm going to try to find out how to guide this kid, and I'm going to get a lot of things wrong. And when I yep. get those things wrong, <laughs> I'm just going to be attentive to learn how to do it differently, and mm-hmm. move forward. So I just think there are a lot of people with a lot of these yes. questions where that's yeah. that's really yeah. part of it. They they think, mm-hmm. am I a failure here? And probably not. Yeah. Well, that was encouraging to me as a mother to four and with my oldest just getting his driver's license. Oh. So appreciate oh. that word. You are entering <laughs> a a fun new world. 
<laughs> yes, I can. I feel it. I feel as at sea as, you know, when they were newborns in some ways. But thank you, as, as always, for your wisdom. And listeners, we'd love to engage with your questions. So please email those to Russell at questions at com. Thanks again. The Russell Moore Show is a production of Christianity Today. Executive producers are Eric Petrick, Russell Moore, and Mike Cosper. Host, Russell Moore. Producer, Ashley Hales. Associate producers, Abby Perry and Mackenzie Hill. Director of Operations for CT Media, Matt Stevens. Audio engineering provided by Dan Phelps. Video producer is Abby Egan. And the theme song for The Russell Moore Show is Dusty Delta Day by Lennon Hutton.